Father, uh, as we get into your word tonight, I do pray that, Lord, you would speak to us. God, thank you that we have Peter recording this and, and taking that stand and fighting the fight of faith. And, and Lord, I pray that it would encourage us. I think especially the times that we're living in and, and how things seem so out of control. And, and I do pray, God, that God, you would teach us from this time tonight that, Lord, we can trust you in the midst of darkness, in the midst of, of uh, things seeming completely contrary to what we believe, that we would understand that our God is still in control. And Lord, again, touch hearts. I know that we're coming from a lot of different places. And Lord, if we're hurting tonight, just lift us up. If we're struggling uh, with things, God, just work in a way that we get those victories. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as we begin tonight, you know, I, I, I just think we need to think about Peter and who he's writing to. He's writing to people who are obviously, they're living in a time where Things are messed up. And as we're gonna see, it seems like some false teachers are creeping in. So he's trying to encourage them. And as he's encouraging them, he's gonna use some great Old Testament examples that should encourage all, I think, even us today in our walk and in what we're facing. And something to keep in mind, hey, Satan has been around for a while, right? Pretty crafty dude, you know? He's kind of studied human nature. He knows what to do. He's maybe not studied each one of us, but he knows the sin nature. He knows how to tempt what to do. And he's a great counterfeiter. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, he's a great counterfeiter. And then in Genesis chapter three, how he comes along and he deceives Eve, right? Brings to question God's word, first of all. Then he, then he denies God's word, and then he replaces God's word. So that's kind of where he's at. And as we think about it, listen, as we think about what he's doing, first of all, we need to understand, there's a lot of posers in the church. They're false Christians is what I call them. And Matthew and John both talk about false Christians, and, and they're kind of a product of Satan and his deception. And then the interesting thing, not only are there false Christians, there's also a false gospel. Somebody else sharing a different gospel. Again, according to Galatians and, and Romans, you have a false gospel, or I'm sorry, according to Galatians, and then in Romans you have that false righteousness. And we need to know this is what we're facing and this is what Peter's talking about. And then lastly, in this introduction, we also have a false Christ coming according to 2 Thessalonians chapter two, the Antichrist. So think of all of those things, and I think they were on Peter's heart. As he's looking at the church in his day and what's going on, he's facing this stuff, and he's realizing how huge it is, and it is huge when we think about, and, and sometimes we think, who am I and how can I influence and make a difference? But the important thing is, we need to realize that we are not influenced for the bad. In other words, we have to protect ourselves against false teaching. And I think this is more important today than any other time because all of us probably, well, maybe I should say the majority of us are on the internet and we're watching things. We're YouTubing, we're doing this, we're doing that. And that can be very good, but it can also be very bad. Just as there's 
a ton of good teaching out there. There's a ton of false teaching out there. And we have to be discerning. And we have to understand, listen, not everybody who uses the name of Jesus is talking about the Jesus of the Bible, the Jesus that we know. Not everybody who's talking about faith is defining faith the same way we define faith. So Peter's gonna talk about that and make us think about it. So he starts out here in verse two and he says, but there were also false prophets. Now, as he's doing that, notice there's a, that, that word of contrast, right? But, what's he talking about? Well, at the end of chapter one, and again, maybe a bad chapter break, at the end of chapter one, he's talking about prophecy and how prophecy came about and how we have the sure word of God delivered to us, but at the same time, there were false prophets in the Old Testament. And he says, just as there were false prophets among the people, even as there, were, uh, there, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. So just like there were false prophets, and again, they're spoken of, and, and as you read through the prophets, and, and you know, we're gonna get there pretty quick in our Bible reading, and as you start reading the prophets, you start understanding, just like there were great prophets, there were also false prophets, and I think two of the ones that talk about it the most are Jeremiah and Ezekiel. I wrote a couple scriptures, but you can read all of Jeremiah and all of Ezekiel for homework before you go to bed. And listen, listen how many times they bring up false prophets. He says, listen, they were there then, but in our generation right now, we have false teachers among us. And we have false teachers who are, are trying to deceive us, and, and they're coming in, and again, they're bringing destructive heresies. Now, here's the thing I know. On their YouTube channels, they don't have the headline, I'm a false teacher, and I'm bringing in destructive heresies. They don't do that, do they? They're sneaky and they're bringing those in, being used by the enemy of our souls, and they're bringing them in, and it's deceptive. And sometimes we listen to them, and, and it sounds good, and they say certain things, and we get, we get sucked in, and we start listening, and, and even at times we'll go, well, that doesn't sound that bad. And then I have heard people say, well, it's not that bad. They just don't believe in the virgin birth. Or it's not that bad, they just don't believe in the resurrection. Come on. Hey, there's essentials, right? There's essentials of our faith. Why would the virgin birth be important? I believe it's important for this reason, to prove that Jesus is fully man and fully God. And he's gotta be fully God to take away our sin, to pay that price. And you mess with that, listen, you start tweaking that and you start messing up the Jesus of the Bible. And oftentimes, listen, I will tell people, if I'm having a conversation, I don't know them very well. They talk about Jesus. I ask them, what Jesus are we talking about? Let's define things. Because some people use the same vocabulary, but a different dictionary. And we need to watch out. We need to say, I want things defined. I want to understand what you're talking about. And that's what Peter's telling us here. Hey, if it was, if it was going on in Peter's day, Oh, actually, if it was going on in Jeremiah's day, it was going on in Ezekiel. Well, really, it was going on in Adam and Eve's day. Don't you think it's still going on today? So we're talking thousands of years of practice 
Don't you think it's refined to the point where it's a little hard to discern? So we need to be careful. And he says, listen, he says they want to draw you away, heresies. Uh, and then he says they even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. They denied Jesus. So we're back to the issue of the person and work of Jesus is what we need to get down to. And I don't care who you're talking to. I don't care if you're talking to cults, you're talking to the occult, you're talking to false teachers. We need to get down to the issue of Jesus. And it's interesting here, he says, they're denying the Lord who bought them. Now, I don't want to get too sidetracked off of this, but some people get into this thing of, there's, there's a doctrine called limited atonement. And what that doctrine is, is that Jesus only died for the elect. He didn't die for the whole world. Ah, I think John chapter three, verse 16, kinda goes against that. John, first John 2, 2 goes against that. Hey, I understand, listen, and I understand what people are saying theologically, but anyway, there's, there's that doctrine, and it's kind of fun to read those guys because usually they're thinkers, and, and that's a reformed idea, not, you know, not reformed in the sense of we think reformed, but Reformation doctrine back, and it's you know, Calvinism, reformed doctrine, whatever you want to call it. And as I read them, these guys write great commentaries. They're thinkers. But then they get into a section like this. I had to read like eight pages of one person trying to explain to me that denying the Lord who bought them doesn't really mean denying the Lord who bought them. And I'm thinking, it says, I'm, I'm a simple guy from Bisbee. It says denying the Lord who bought them. Here's what I think. They're denying the Lord who bought them. And I, you know, I'm not gonna get into a real long thing and an argument. I understand limited atonement theologically. I love to study theology. I understand it theologically. I even understand it logically, but it's not biblical. And so to get off on that tangent, listen to what he says. They're denying the Lord who bought them. These are people who are, who are talking about one Jesus and yet denying the true Jesus. So he lays that out, and then he says, and they bring destruction, swift, uh, bring on themselves swift destruction. So he's gonna talk about that in a minute, but before he gets there, in verse two he says, and many will follow their destructive ways because of, because of whom the way of the truth will be blasphemed. Many are gonna follow that way. Why? Because it sounds good. It tickles our ears, and it makes us think, wow, that sounds pretty good. Well, I kinda like that. I mean, who among us doesn't wanna be healthy and wealthy? Right? Duh. I mean, when people tell you you can be rich and never get sick, I'm in. But that's not true doctrine. And you start going, and I love the way he says, listen, he goes, he goes hey, that's a path. He goes, he goes, you're gonna follow that way, and when you get on that highway, guess what? There's not an exit to the truth way. You're stuck on that highway, and you need to be careful, right? And he says, man, their way is the way of destruction. And he says, and they, uh, they, the way of the truth will be blasphemed. And that's generally what happens. One of the major health and wealthers way back in the day and I know he's still around, Kenneth Copeland. 
I remember hearing Kenneth Colvin, when you think about it, and here's a guy saying, hey, you can be healthy and wealthy. And, and, and uh, I'm going, who doesn't want that? And then, and then all of a sudden, one time, here's what he says. Wherever the Bible says I am, I say I am too. That's pretty intense, right? Here's what he's saying. Wherever the Bible talks about God, I realize that I'm God. That's heresy. And I remember studying through that and looking at that, and I remember even I got a tape at the time, those little square white things that you stuck in, and I got a tape, and because somebody had said he said that, and I thought, that's a little, that's like a little out there. And I got the tape, and I heard him say that. And here's what he said. In case you didn't hear me, let me say it again. So listen to what, listen to what Peter's saying. They have that destructive heresy, and they start driving down a road. And guess what? That doesn't lead to good things. It leads to bad things. And he says they drive you down that road. And then also in verse 3, he says, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. By covetousness. When we want, when we get self-centered, when we start thinking about self, he says, listen, man, they, then they come in with words that they use that don't mean what we think they mean. And they come in with deceptive words, and he says, and, and for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. So here's what he's saying. You see those people, and sometimes here's what I think, God, why are we not toasting them? Right? Why are we doing something about this? I'm kind of like, like James and John. Lord, should we call fire from heaven, like right now? Right? Hey, it kind of makes me feel good. James and John are pretty cool people to be uh, associated with, right? And isn't it time right now to call some fire from heaven? Because don't you feel that way? Especially when you see people being drugged into that and deceived, it breaks your heart. And you see people taken advantage of. And, and you know, people who are desperate at, at the last you know, the last straw in their life and they're desperate and they hear that and they try to grab a hold of that and it just breaks your heart when you see that. But we need to understand God has things under control. And their judgment may not, may not be today, but it's coming. And God is gonna bring it. So Peter lets us know, listen, they're, they're here, they're among us, we need to be discerning. We need to be understanding that they're there. And then we also need to know our God is gonna take care of things. And we can, we can, you know, quote, leave it in his hand. That doesn't mean, listen, doesn't mean that we don't take stands. Doesn't mean that we, we you know, accept it. But we need to know when we get frustrated at that point where we're calling fire from heaven, we need to know he's not saying, no, I'm accepting what they're doing. He's going, I'll take care of it in my time. So now Peter goes on, and now he's gonna give us some examples, and it gets a little bit crazy. He says, for God did not spare the angels who sinned. So now he's talking about something else going on, right? 
And he says, God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment. Now, I know from discussions I have with people, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, can bring a lot of controversy going back to Genesis chapter 6. And Genesis chapter 6, when the sons of God, or this, uh, yeah, the sons of God intermarried the, son, uh, the, the women, and they produced these children, and most of us know, and the Nephilim came along. And they take this verse, and they plug it in there. Now, I have to say, I don't know what this verse is talking about. Is it talking about Genesis chapter 6? I don't know. It doesn't say Genesis chapter 6, and it doesn't say at that time. Now, I know, listen, I know, I've had the discussion, Robert Furrow. (laughs) And I know the very next verse says something about, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah. I know that. So now it really kind of, oh, well, that's what it's got to be talking about. How do we know that? So I don't want to get off on a long, long discussion on that, and we could if Robert was here, but let's just suffice it to say this. I don't know what sin these angels committed. I don't, you know, if you want to take that stand, that's okay, but don't do it from this verse. Don't say this verse is definitely talking. Here's what I know. God is letting us know that he judges angels who sinned. And he's judging angels who defied him. What is he telling us? If God is going to judge a created being greater than us because of their rebellion, don't you think he's gonna judge us? Do you see what Peter's doing? Peter's not trying to get us to resolve Genesis chapter six. Peter's trying to get us to understand if God judged those angels and put them in a place and kept them for the day of judgment, don't you think he's capable of judging false teachers today and those who rebel against him? Are you with me? Listen, and I think it's important because here's the thing. Whether we're talking about, you know, even in verse one, denying the Lord who bought them, or here we're talking about this, we get off on these tangents and we don't understand what he's talking about. And we start chasing, listen, we start chasing and going down rabbit holes and and doing stuff. And and I like to do that. I like to study that stuff. But listen, then we lose sight of what he's saying. Here's what he's saying. God is going to judge those who come against him just like he judged the angels. Keep that in your head and in your heart. If he judged those angels, and it's kind of crazy because he's talking about angels who are in chains and they're, they're in chains into darkness and they're reserved for judgment. And again, he's using a very specific word there that's talked about an underworld thing and, and you know, just gross darkness. Peter's using very specific terms. And so here's what I know. Not all angels are in that place. So what did these specific angels do? I don't know. I'm gonna be that person. I'm not gonna blame it on Genesis chapter six. I don't know what they did. Maybe they were there when Satan was deceiving Eve and playing around and and maybe they were there backing him up. I don't know. But I know that not all angels are in, or not all fallen angels are in a place of being chained up. There's some fallen angels, we call them demons, 
who hassle today. So here's what he's saying. If God did that, and God did not, did not or, or God put them in, in chains and darkness to be reserved for judgment, and did not, verse five, spare the ancient world. So listen, now he kind of, he's, he's talking about something else. He's still talking about judgment. And he's letting us know, and this is important, man. Get this in our hearts. Here's what he's saying. If God did not spare the ancient world, during the days of Noah, the world had gone mad. It's gone crazy. And it wasn't just about angels intermarrying with women. Here's what was going on. Man's heart became so evil that God dealt with it. Do you understand? I think that's important for us today. I think things are pretty crazy today. I think our world is pretty upside down. I just read an article about a 30-year-old man who did a skateboard contest against 13-year-old girls and won and said, it doesn't matter. Like, dude, you're a, come on. What kind of world are we living in? Number one, he says, I identify as a woman. Uh, now are you identifying as a little girl so you can skate against them and, and you can beat little girls? You're a 30-year, I'm sorry, but anyway. Our world's crazy, right? Our world's like absolutely crazy. Is God able to judge it? Have he judged the world? And, and here's, here's something that I think we need to keep in our hearts. The world was going in a one direction during the days of Noah, but Noah was going in a different direction. You don't always go with the majority, and in Noah's day, the majority was the entire world. Think about standing, like, like if there was just, what well, we're gonna read, there's eight of them. If there was just eight of us left, and the whole world was against us, that would be a pretty tough stand, wouldn't it? And then you're building a boat, and it had never rained, and then you're trying to explain to people, I'm building this boat, you got to do this for, it takes you 100 years to do it. People are coming by, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Why are you building a boat? Because there's a flood coming. What's a flood? Oh, you're gonna find out, but I'm still working on my boat. Noah, you are nuts. You're crazy. Yeah, but I'm building a boat. I mean, just think of that, that whole time had to be, you think we have it bad? Do you ever feel a little bit isolated from the world? Man, think if you're Noah, man. You're not having to build no stinking ark, right? I mean, that's intense. So listen, he says, he says, and he did not spare the ancient world, but he saved Noah. Why was Noah saved? Because God saved him. Right? I love that, that idea. He saved Noah and uh, Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. I love the idea. Listen, Noah wasn't saved because of Noah. Noah was saved because of God. Amen. And God is able to preserve us. And God is able to take care of us. And we need to understand that it's not because we're great. It's not even because, it's not even because we're righteous. And by the way, we're gonna read about righteousness a couple times here. And it wasn't, listen, righteousness is not self-righteousness. And righteousness is not so much always external. Like I believe if you're born again tonight, you're righteous. You don't always act that way, right? 
Some of you didn't even act that way getting here. <laughs> right? So, so we know that, but we're declared righteous in the sight of God, and that's why he saves us. So we need to know that. And then something else that I find fascinating, and this is just a side note, not to get too far off on it, but the interesting thing is Peter, Peter seems to really be hung up on this flood thing. Peter, so you have 1 Peter, 2 Peter. In 1 Peter chapter 3, he mentions a flood. In 2 Peter chapter 2, he mentions a flood. In 2 Peter chapter 3, he mentions the flood. Something was clicking, and I'm not, I'm not saying that I, I have the answer. Something is clicking in Peter about the flood, and two of the three times he brings it up, he talks about a worldwide flood, not just a local flood. Huh, somebody a little bit closer, somebody had an idea, but I find it fascinating that he was fascinated with the idea of the flood and that God brought that flood as a means of judgment on the world. Every time he brings it up, it's about judgment and that God is judging the world. So you and I, maybe we need to be patient. Maybe you need to start building a boat in your backyard. I don't know. You know, just start working on it and maybe it gives you more patience to do that. Or a rocket, I think I talked about that once. What What would you do if God tonight put on your heart, hey, I want you to build a rocket because I'm about to destroy this place and you and and. You know, a couple people around, you're gonna get in a rocket and you're gonna take some animals in there and you're gonna be fine. Did you build the rocket? It'd be tough. Some of you go, I'm not a rocket scientist. <laughs> Noah wasn't a boat builder. Come on. So you gotta think about it, right? So listen, Noah was saved, so, so we have the angels rebelling and God judged them. And again, you can plug in whatever you want there about their sin, I don't care. But they're judged and then you have the world that's judged and Noah taken care of, and we're gonna talk more about that in a minute. And then he says in verse six, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them an example to those who afterward would live ungodly. Now listen, he goes from the flood, which was a universal judgment, to another judgment that just happened in a valley. But everyone in that valley was judged because they were ungodly. And most of us know that story. Listen, most of us understand. Genesis 18 and 19, if you don't know the story, you gotta read the story, right? Because the preface of all of this is you've got this this guy living in this area, we're gonna look at him in a minute, Lot, and you have Sodom and Gomorrah, and they're pretty evil by now. And they're an evil, evil place to live. And then you have Abraham, And the angels visit Abraham, right? And the angels tell Abraham, hey, we're gonna go destroy that place. I love Abraham. He goes, ah, that's kind of heavy. I'm paraphrasing. He says, really? He says, would you destroy it if there were 50 righteous people? Oh, for 50 righteous people, I wouldn't destroy it. Well, now that I've been so bold to ask, how about 40? Well, I wouldn't destroy it for 40. Well, if we're gonna not do 40, how about 30? I love that whole scene, right? And he gets down to 10, and he stops at 10, and I think think Abraham's going, I better cut my losses here, right? (laughs) And he stops at 10. But what does that tell us? Listen, what does that tell us? There weren't even 10 righteous people there. Now, again, think about this. When we feel our world's gone mad, 
I think that's what Sodom and Gomorrah looked like. I think that's what the world looked like in Noah's day, the entire world. But I think definitely Sodom and Gomorrah, and we know there was, a, we know there was homosexuality. And remember, they came and they wanted to have sex with the men that were hanging out with, with Lot, and we're gonna talk about that in a moment. And Lot kind of makes a deal, tries to make a deal with them that's gross and, and to me like, but you have this immorality, and here's the thing. Do you hear what Peter says? Peter says, if God was able to judge them and burn that place to ashes as an example of the judgment for the ungodly, don't get so, listen, don't get so freaked out and, and hear me right about the ungodly. The ungodly are gonna be ungodly. I think we need to be righteous. I think we need to be an example but don't be calling down fire, you know, unless God calls you to do that. And you need to know that God's able to judge them. And God gave them an example. And what happens today? If you have a conversation with anybody, especially in the area of sexuality, and you have a conversation and you bring up Sodom and Gomorrah, they get freaked out, right? What are you talking about? That was just like stupid. That didn't even take place. How do you know that took place? Well, because you know what? A lot of New Testament writers bring it up. That's why. It's not just what was Genesis 18 and 19. It's like it's in the New Testament all over the place. And so, listen, he says he judged them and he brought fire. So God judged the first time by water. And what did he say? I'm done with that, right? And what did he put in the sky? Rainbow. Somebody ripped that off, didn't they? So he put the rainbow as a sign that I'm not gonna come against you anymore. And then the second time he decides to destroy an entire valley, what does he bring? Fire and brimstone, right? The old thing we don't like. Man, that preacher's a fire and brimstone guy. But he brings that judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. As an example, what Peter says, that God is able to judge the ungodly and an example to the ungodly. So then he says, verse seven, here's where it gets weird to me, and he delivered righteous Lot. Why didn't he just say he delivered Lot? Right? I mean, that's just kind of, and oh, he's not done. He, he delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Sometimes I'm thinking, I don't think righteous means the same thing to me that it means to you, Peter. Like righteous lot, and he uses it three times. You know what that tells me? Lot was righteous. I don't think he was right, and you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, Lot? Here's what I'm thinking, maybe you should go, Maybe you should just go read Genesis 18 and 19. Now, he did do some good things, right? But do you remember how Lot even got there in the first place? Remember him and Abraham were hanging out and they realized they've got too much stuff. They'd been down to Egypt. Now they got all this junk. They got too many herds. They got too much stuff going on. And Abraham, I love Abraham. There was conflict going on. Here's great conflict resolution. Here's what Abraham said. Lot, you choose wherever you want. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. You go to the right, I'll go to the left. I love that, right? Because Abraham could trust his God. Some of us, we want to trust what we got in our hand. 
And he goes, hey, you choose wherever you want to go. And remember, Lot saw that plain, and it was good, and it was beautiful, and it was green. And he goes, I want to go down there. And then pretty soon he's living there, and then pretty soon he's kind of hanging out more in the city, not out in the country, not taking care of his herds. Then pretty soon he's sitting in the city gate. That sounds, that sounds like he's pretty involved. But the whole time in his heart, something had to be going on for Peter to write what Peter wrote. In his heart, listen, he's involved, but in his heart, he's going, man, this is a bad place. Any of you go to bad places? I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't be doing this. And even he was tormented in his soul. That's pretty intense. So here's what we need to know. Lot wasn't righteous by all of his actions. Oh, by the way, remember the angels show up? Now, this is where he was righteous. The angels show up, and he goes, you can't stay in the city square, man. These guys will rape you, right? That's being very blunt. And he goes, so come to my house. I got to protect you. So that gives us a little bit of yes. And then the guys come, knock on his door, and say, send out those men because we saw them go into your house, and we want to rape them, and we want to have our way with them, and send them out. Do you remember what Lot said? No, these are, these are strangers and they're under my roof and I'm taking care of them. So here's the deal, take my daughters. Every time I read that, I want to crawl on my Bible and I want to hit Lot. I'm like, what are you doing? I'm a, I'm, I, I got a daughter. You don't do that with your daughter. I get so mad at Lot every time. And then I'm reading one commentary. It's funny how people try and, Take up for Lot. Well, Lot knew that they wouldn't do anything with his daughter. That's why he said that, because they were all homosexual. And he, I'm thinking, just quit, quit, stop. He made the offer. It bugs me. But then my Bible says he's righteous, and I gotta accept that too. And here's what I realize. I do some ugly things. I'm not telling you what but I'm still righteous. Not on my own righteousness, but the righteousness of Christ. Now, I want to look more like that every day, and I want to be more like that, and I got to believe Lot did too because of what's written here, but he was vexed. So here's what he's saying. Listen, oh, and then, and then Lot, do you remember? I mean, we could go on and on about his unrighteousness. Remember what happens after he leaves? Every time it cracks me out. Remember they bring him out. They go, Lot, come on, you gotta get out of this city. And they almost have to drag him out, right? And that's the way some of us are with our sin. We kind of like to, ah, I don't wanna go. And that's how our God loves us. Come on. And he drag, they drag him out and they bring him out and they go, listen, whatever you do, don't look back. And we know the story of Lot's wife, right? She looks back, she turns into a pillar of salt and you have that whole dilemma you look at. But then do you remember what Lot did? This always cracks me up. Lot, the angel said, go to those mountains and flee because God is about to do something extraordinary. And here's what Lot said. Can I go to that hill? because I want to sin just a little bit. Well, he didn't say that last part, but that's what he meant, right? Isn't that what we do? God says, get so far away, and we go, oh, can we stay a little bit closer? I got it under control. And then he goes up on the hill, then he gets drunk. It's a great thing to do after God saves you, right? 
He gets drunk, and then his daughters sleep with him, and, and that whole mess goes on. This is righteous lot, right? I mean, you got to read this, and you're going, okay, okay, Peter. I'm glad you look at things differently than the way I look at things, but right? So he's righteous lot. He says, listen, he was oppressed by their filthy conduct, uh, by the filthy conduct of the wicked. Do you, get, do you get oppressed by the filthy conduct of the wicked? Like weird guys who say they're 30-some years old and they're having a skateboard contest against a 13-year-old? Come on. Sorry. Fire, fire. But. <laughs> and then it says, for that righteous man dwelling among them was tormented in his righteous soul. I think oftentimes we're tormented, but we don't do anything. So we have that. Now, why did, why did Peter give us the story of the angels, the story of the flood, and the story of Sodom and Gomorrah? Why did he give us that? Because his people were living in the same circumstances. Oh, maybe not identical, but they're living in a world that's totally messed up. They're living in a world where a guy wants to burn them alive, where a guy who wants to sew them in animal skins and throw them in an arena and watch the lions chew them up. They're living in that world. And he's saying, listen, God is still in control even when it seems he's out of control. And at the time he brings judgment, check this out. Here's what he says in verse nine. Then if the Lord did that, Going back to uh, your, your reserve for judgment in verse four, he says, then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Here's what, here's what we need to know. God knows how to deliver us. Even when we don't know how to deliver us and deliver us out of what? Not just out of bad situations, out of temptation. God knows how to do that. He knows how to take care of us. Hey, if he could get Lot out of that mess, then he can take care of us, right? Most of us aren't in that big of a mess. Some of us may be close. But listen, he knows, and here's what I love. God can bring judgment simultaneously protecting and taking care of and delivering the godly out of judgment, out of temptation. We need to know that. That's our God. We need to trust him and we need to be people. God, I can trust you in the midst of all of this ugliness, in the midst of this mess, I can trust you. In the midst of 30-year-old guys skateboarding against 13-year-old girls, I can deliver you out of that temptation. Makes me want to get a skateboard. Go after him. Not them, him. So listen, he says, and I love that, and think about them. Think about what's going on, as I said. These are people facing not just, not just persecution, they're facing life and death. Most of them are probably gonna be executed for their faith. Peter knows that, they know that. It's going, you gotta know something, man. God is still in control. So if he can do that, listen, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and at the same time to reserve the unjust for punishment for the day of judgment. Listen, judgment is coming. And Jesus is coming back. I read the end of the story. 
He's coming back. I love that, right? I tell people that sometimes. They go, how do you know this is gonna happen? Because I read the end of the book. I know how this ends. My God wins. Your God loses, right? And so listen, he's reserving them for that day of judgment. Oh, and then we gotta go a little bit into verse 10. This is weird verse breaks. A little bit in verse 10, he says, listen, he has the unjust for the day of judgment and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. Think about what he's saying. He just demonstrated to us whether we're talking about the flood, whether we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, or even talking about angels, all of them, listen, they were involved in things that, that definitely took place and walked according to the flesh and the uncleanness and despising authority. Doesn't that sound like our world today? It's okay, God's got things under control. I don't think so, Pat, I know he does. And just because he's not judging right now, doesn't mean he's never gonna judge. And we need to take, I think, some comfort in that. Not so much that we're going, ha, 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 God's gonna get you. But I think, listen, I think we can take a little bit of solace in thinking, man, things are pretty messed up, Lord. I know when I get quiet with the Lord and say things like that, he goes, should have been around the days of Noah. You think this is bad, man? It was really crazy back then. Should have seen Sodom and Gomorrah. I can't even imagine what that was like. And so, God knows exactly what is going on. And he knows good and he knows evil. And he can keep us out of the temptation. Again, not out of circumstances. Out of the temptation he can deliver us from that. Hallelujah. Because I think if we're honest, again, we can judge Lot all we want. But we know that we're tempted. And we know that the devil, that one, because he's conniving, he's a cheater, and he's going to come in, and he's going to disguise himself. Have you ever noticed, again, people who want to rip you off, they never come with a big sign, I'm here to rip you off. Even, I mean, I'm talking about spiritually, but even in the world, right? People want to take advantage of you. They don't have like a sign, I want to take advantage of you, I want all of your money. That type of thing, right? They go, hey, I'm here to help you. And the worst words you can ever hear from the government of the United States is, we're here to help you. Amen. Not good words. That's Ronald Reagan. So keep in mind, listen, keep in mind, God has it under control. We need to draw close to him. We need to be in his word. We need to be people just like Noah we need to be people, we're just faithfully doing what God has called us to do. And we need to trust him. Let's stand up and pray. Father, I thank you for your word and I thank you for the, the challenge that we have here as we just think about what was said. And, and Lord, I do pray, I pray for myself I pray for my brothers and sisters. It's hard at times to see our world and see some of the corrupt and evil and vile things that go on and not want to take matters in our own hands and, and try and turn things around. It's hard to trust 
and know, God, that you are in charge and you are in control. And so, Lord, I do pray that as we, as we just think about what we read, the examples that Peter gave us, Lord, that they would hit our hearts hard to let us know that we're not the only ones living in a corrupt world. We're not the only ones being attacked. We're not the only ones who have had to live through difficult and hard situations. And God, you know how to preserve us. You know how to keep us from temptation. And I pray that that would go deep in our hearts and strengthen every single one of us, no matter what's going on in our life, personally, and what's going on in our world around us, that we would determine in our hearts that we're gonna shine brightly for Jesus Christ, that we're gonna be a beacon for you and work in us. And I'm gonna ask you to stay in an attitude of prayer for a couple more minutes. And if you are here tonight and you came and you're not born again, you're not saved, some of this was maybe even hard to hear, maybe uh, even hit us in a way that we're thinking, why, why would that say that? And so I wanna encourage you tonight to take that step of faith, to be someone tonight who's going to say, I'm gonna trust Jesus. I maybe don't understand every detail, every aspect, but tonight I'm gonna believe in him for my salvation. The Bible spells it out this way, that we've all sinned, every single one of us, and that our sin separates us from God. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, that's what it means, we're separated from God. We don't have that relationship with him. That's the bad news, the good news is Jesus Christ came and he died and took our place, took that, that place for us of sin, and we deserve the wrath of God, he took the wrath of God upon himself. And tonight, here's what you need to do, you need to believe that. Put your faith in that, not in the things of this world, but put your faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died for your sin, took your place, and here's what you need to do, you need to tell him, Tonight, I'm trusting you, Jesus. So I'm gonna lead you in a prayer and we're gonna basically say that. We're gonna come to the place where you're gonna be honest with God and you're gonna let him know you wanna trust him. So if that's for you tonight, say this prayer with me. You can say it out loud or you can say it silently, but it's gotta come from your heart. If you're watching online, you can say it right where you're at. You don't have to be here. If you're backslidden, Hey, maybe you're backslidden, you walked into church tonight, you thought, hey man, I'm gonna go by that Calvary Chapel place and maybe you came in and tonight God hit your heart, then come home, come back to Jesus. Take that step tonight. Say this prayer with us. Jesus, tonight I confess to you that I am a sinner. I'm sorry that I sinned against you, God. And right now I'm asking you to forgive me. Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. Thank you tonight for your forgiveness. 
And now I want you to come into my heart and change me. Jesus, come into my life and guide me. I'm asking you to be my Lord and my Savior.